so much. They, they read from Paul's letter to the Philippian church, which is one of the most positive letters you can find from Paul as he writes to churches that are trying to figure out what does it mean to be the people of God in the Roman Empire? What does it mean to be the people of God as Christianity is growing? What does it mean to be the people of God as some people are also paid? facing persecution and hardship and notice those words about focusing on each other not just yourself about loving each other about working for unity about encouraging each other how did that church get there well we're in this series for this summer where we are looking at churches in the book of acts so you've just heard paul writes to the church at philippi so let's back up and let's look at how this church even gets started. What are they facing? How did it begin? Where does their story begin? Just this week, I, uh, I came across a book by Kevin Burchess. Now, I don't know him. I haven't met him. But the title of his book grabbed my attention. Fragile Jesus, no. Compliant Jesus, no. Irrelevant Jesus, no. Dangerous Jesus, absolutely. And in this book, this is how it's described. Burgess writes that Jesus is a threat to our division, that he's a threat to our rebellion, that he's the kind of dangerous that is so infused with power from on high that nothing stays the same when he walks into the room, that his love is so strong it's intoxicating that his truth is so good, it sets people free. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 16 and look at a few passages in that one chapter. And it is Paul going on his second missionary journey. And nothing quite goes the way it looks like he has planned. And the people who are along with him discovered that following Jesus is a bit dangerous. And the people who receive the message discover that Jesus isn't fragile or compliant or irrelevant, that really following Jesus can be dangerous for the, and yet worth the risk, worth the danger, worth the changes that are there. So let me throw up a few ideas along the way for us to think about. And here's the first one, and then I'll explain it. When we look at how this church begins at Philippi, we recognize the need to find the middle ground, especially when we are focused on our mission. So if you go back and look, and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm not going to read all of this to you from, go back and look at Acts chapter 16. If you get bored during the sermon, look at Acts chapter 16, all right? We'll get to some verses there in just a few moments. But this is how it begins. Paul is going to begin, Paul and one of his companions, they're going to begin this second missionary journey, and they meet a young man they're very impressed by, and his name is Timothy. And here's one of the issues with Timothy. Timothy is not from Jerusalem. His mother is Jewish and is a believer, and his father is Greek. And evidently, somewhere along the way, Jesus ha uh, Timothy has encountered Jesus. This is the same Timothy. You'll turn and look in your Bible. First letter Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, this is when they meet. And they invite Timothy to go on this journey. Now, for those of you who have been with us this summer, if you go back a couple of sermons, the Jerusalem Council, when they meet, it begins, Jesus is Jewish, 
The 120 on the day of Pentecost are Jewish. The 12 disciples are Jewish. All of those believers in the mother church in Jerusalem, they're Jewish. And then the gospel starts spreading. The gospel keeps going out. And people who are not Jewish, people who've never heard about Moses, people who don't know the Mosaic law, people who don't know the Torah, they're becoming followers of Jesus. And what does it mean? And the church has to wrestle with this. Do they have to become Jewish? There's a large segment in that church in Jerusalem. They must become Jewish. They, they need to keep the dietary requirements. They have to give up all that bacon in the morning. They have to deserve the holidays, all these kinds of things. And they work it out and they go, we're not going to require that of these Gentile believers. That's not, if, if we require part of the law, they have to keep all the law. That's not what we're going to do. That's in chapter 15. It's just happened as you're reading through the book of Acts. And we get to this part, and this is Paul who is, becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. This is Paul who stood before those believers in Jerusalem and argued with them. No, we cannot require that of them. And the leaders come to Paul and they go, look, this is new. His mother's Jewish. His father's Greek. We got to do something. He needs to be circumcised before you go on this mission trip. This is kind of how it goes. Timothy, we got good news for you. We want you to go on this mission trip. You're going to need a passport. You're going to need a flashlight. Bring a toothbrush. Bring a little money for souvenirs. By the way, there's one more thing. You don't want to get that done pretty soon. You're going to be doing a lot of walking. I don't know, I don't know how this conversation went. I don't, this, is the, this is the Apostle Paul who at the beginning of this mission trip goes, okay. This is the Apostle Paul finding the middle ground. This is the same Apostle Paul who says, this has nothing to do with salvation. This has nothing to do, this is not a requirement for following Jesus. And this is Apostle Paul going, this is the world we live in. And these are the people we're working with. And we want to do this together. This is the Apostle Paul who writes to the church we're about to find out how it's established and go, it's not about you, it's about us. It's not about, you've got to always be thinking about everyone else and how this is about our mission together. And he finds this middle ground. I'd like to know how Timothy felt about it, but he found the middle ground. And Timothy agrees. And they go on this mission. And so they begin. Listen to these verses. Acts chapter 16. Just sit back. Uh, these are foreign places, uh, unless you've done a lot of traveling uh, hundreds of years ago. You won't know this. Right, so, Paul and his companions, Timothy, Silas, they travel throughout the regions of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit kept them from speaking the word in the province of Asia which means they wanted to go to Asia and tell people about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit said, not today. This is not where I want you to go. And when they approached the province of Mycenae, they tried to enter the province of Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go. 
No, not there either. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. A vision of a man from Macedonia came to Paul during the night, and he stood up saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And immediately after he saw the vision, we prepared to leave for the province of Macedonia. Now, all of that is it's all in one paragraph. We've talked about this before in some of our Bible studies, and it's easy to skip over. This is not their plan. This is not where they're going to go. And one of the things they discover is that sometimes we have to change our plans when we're following Jesus. Sometimes we have to change our plans. It's not the way life works out. It's not what we thought was going to happen. It's not even what we thought God has called us to, but it's where we are now, and suddenly we find the Spirit of God leading us in a completely different direction. You can give it lots of titles, living with life second best, or in this case, their, their third option that they're going. They have no idea. This is not where the original plan you can skip over it. This is when the gospel goes to Europe for the first time. This is eventually going to change the shape of Christianity within the world. This is a life-changing moment for lots of people, including the people at the church, which is going to be established at Philippi, and it wasn't where they want to go, and you may not want to go there either. It's not where you thought God was going to lead you. It's not where you thought your gifts and talents were going to go. It's not the job you thought you were going to have. It's not the family you thought you were going to have. It's not whatever that list is, it doesn't mean God isn't in it. It doesn't mean God can't make something incredible come out of it. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to look back in a few years and go, I never saw this coming. I never thought this was a possibility. I certainly didn't see God in it in the moment, and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened. That's about the grace and the mercy of God. That's about the power of God's love, and God can take some of the most disturbing second chances in life and turn them into these wonderful opportunities. So take a deep breath. Not where you plan to be. It's all right. Isn't that a theme we keep seeing now in the book of Acts with these churches, these people who are traveling, these people who are following Jesus? Sometimes we think too small. Sometimes we think too small for the real opportunity and what the world needs and how God is engaging the world. Jesus is dangerous. And sometimes we have to change our plans. Now let's get to Philippi. Jesus is dangerous. And sometimes when we follow Jesus, we have to live with the consequences of sharing the good news. And so Paul and his companions arrive at Philippi. And they meet up with Lydia, a Sunday school lesson or a VBS lesson. Many of you have heard this woman who is there, who is very well respected. She meets with a group of people outdoors as they are praying together and seeking God. And once she encounters Paul and his companions, she insists, please, you must come practice this hospitality. You must come and be our guest. Please come and stay. So there is Paul and his companions traveling throughout the city each day and sharing the gospel. And something unusual happens, and it happens, and it happens, and it happens, and it happens. And there's this young woman who is a slave. And she possesses this spirit, or is possessed by a spirit, depending on how you read that. Uh, and she, she's a fortune teller. And she makes money for the slave owner. So she is property. It is a show. 
And people pay for her to tell them what's going to happen in their future. And she and Paul's paths cross. Interesting story of what happens after this. Uh, And there are lots of question marks along the way. She keeps following Paul and his companions around. And she keeps shouting out, these people, they are servants of the Most High God. And they are here to proclaim to you a way of salvation. Which sounds like great PR. Wouldn't that be interesting if one of you followed me around all day and just said that? And we don't know exactly what, Luke does not explain, is Paul just annoyed? She will not stop. That's one option. Is Paul annoyed because what she's saying, it's not that that isn't true, it's how she's saying it and the source that it's coming from, and it's not fitting in with what he's trying to accomplish. We don't know. Finally, Paul has had enough. We don't know how many times it happens. We don't know how long. It wouldn't take long for me to be annoyed. But finally, Paul turns around and he casts this spirit out of her, which is also a way her life has changed. She's set free. And her owners no longer have a source of income. can no longer use her, can no longer manipulate her. Is it that Paul didn't care or that Paul really cared about her future, options? There's so many questions there. And here's what happens. Her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone. So they grab Paul and Silas and drag them before the officials of the city center. When her owners approached the legal authorities, they said, these people are causing an uproar in our city. They are Jews who promote customs that we Romans can't accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas, so the authorities ordered that they be stripped of their clothes and beaten with a rod. When Paul and Silas had been severely beaten, the authorities threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to secure them with great care. When he received these instructions, he threw them in the innermost cell and secured their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And that's a good place to just stop and realize Jesus is dangerous. It's a good place to stop and realize not everyone wants good news to come to their community. Remember the time that Jesus took his disciples? Mark describes it this way. They went to the other side of the sea, which is directionally they went to the other side. But it also meant they went to the other side. They they went to the Gentile side. And that's that incredible story. Uh, we do tell that one in Vacation Bible School of the man who is chained up and he's, and he's living in the cemetery and he's just, they, they can't control this guy and he hears that Jesus is coming and he falls down before him and Jesus cures him, changes his life. He's sitting there, it's a great line, clothed and in his right mind. 
And the people in the community come to Jesus and they beg him to leave. Please leave. Please leave. Okay, there were some deaths of some pigs along the way, but we do love our bacon. Please leave. Not everyone wants good news. Not everyone wants their neighbors to have good news. Not not everyone wants people who are being exploited to be freed. And here they are. They wanted to go to Asia, and the Spirit said, no, not there. Well, let's go to Bithynia, and the Spirit goes, no, not there. This is where the Spirit has led them. And now they are arrested, which is bad enough, beaten with rods, which sounds a lot like growing up in my home. Not my home, the home I grew up in, yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear. You're welcome. <laughs> Though I am afraid of her. Uh, And they're feeding stocks. And just because things aren't going right doesn't mean you aren't in God's will. We've been sold that. We've been sold that. If you are in God's will, life will be good. If you're in God's will, you'll be wealthy. If you're in God's will, you'll be healthy. And I don't guess those folks read Acts chapter 16 or the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. Just because life is difficult or challenging doesn't mean you're out of God's will. I think we have to flip the coin the other way and just say just because life is great doesn't mean you're in God's will. Or just because the... So, I, I remember the conversation, this individual from our church come sitting in front of me and talking about this ministry, the, wanting to begin and going, this is going to be hard. This is hard, hard work. Yeah, sure is. Sounds like a God thing. Here they are. I wonder if they ask, why did this happen to me? I wonder if they asked, what did we do wrong? I, I wonder if they asked, why did God forsake us? I, I hope they had some of those human experiences, but there they are sitting in the stocks and they are singing hymns to God. Somewhere along the way, they get it. That obedience and faithfulness, that's what means you're in the will of God. Not how easy is life. Or how much fun am I having today? Or, or, or how much money is in the bank account? That is not the measure of whether we are in God's will. And then this happens. Around midnight, uh, Paul and Silas are praying and they're singing hymns. And all at once, there was such a violent earthquake that it shook the prison's foundations. And the doors opened and everyone's chains came loose. 
when the jailer awoke and saw that the open doors of and saw the open doors of the prison, he thought the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul shouted loudly, "Don't harm yourself. We're all here." The jailer called for some lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas and he led them outside and he asked, honorable master, sirs, uh, what must I do to be rescued? And sometimes it's translated, what must I do to be saved? And one of the first questions I want to ask is, if I'm Paul and I'm there in prison and I'm praying and I know I'm in God's will and I have been beaten with rods and, and there's an earthquake and the shackles come off, why didn't he leave? Why is he still there? Why didn't they run? Why? And again, it's one of those, there, there are a lot of unanswered questions in this, or maybe I should just turn it around and say, I think I would have saw my opportunity and seized that opportunity and just credit it to God later on. But there's a bigger picture of the mission. There's a bigger picture of what God is doing there. There's a bigger picture of more people are involved. What must I do to be rescued? How am I going to get out of this? How, maybe he's just asking, how am I going to survive this when they find out what's happened? I'm dead. Whatever it is, they're going to turn the answer around and give him a bigger answer to that. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be rescued, but it's more than that. You, I think here it should be true. And you will be saved, you and your entire household. And they spoke the Lord's word to him and everyone else in his house. I'm just saying if I've been beaten and jailed, I'm not sure I'm thinking about the welfare of the jailer. If I've been beaten and abused, falsely accused, I don't know how focused I am on the welfare of anybody involved in that system anywhere along the way. Which brings us back to mission. Which brings us back to Paul's letter to the people at Philippi long after this event takes place. Which brings us back to what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so they do believe the entire household, and they're baptized, and their life is changed. And let's add one more. This dangerous Jesus, sometimes we have to speak up and speak out because of what's happening in the bigger picture. Sometimes we have to speak up and speak out because of what's happening to other people who are also present. And it gets complicated. Sometimes we focus just on what does it mean for me to follow Jesus when what we're really asking is what does it mean for us to follow Jesus? So here's what happens towards the end of this chapter, Paul's visit to Philippi. The next morning, after the earthquake, after the, well, let's back up, after the arrest, after the beating, after being jailed, after the earthquake, after the jailer responding, right, the next morning, the legal authorities sent the police to the jailer with the order, release those people. 
So the jailer reported this to Paul, informing him, the, author the authorities sent word that you both are free to be released. You can leave now, go in peace. It's just, it's just a wonderful moment when the authorities go, all right, let him go. And he comes in to his new friends. I've got great news for you. Uh, they've said you're both free to go. Isn't that great? God, I'm alive. It all worked out great. Go in peace. And Paul says, no, no. Paul told the police, even though we are Roman citizens, they beat us publicly without first finding us guilty of a crime and they threw us into prison and now they want to send us away secretly? I don't think so. No way. They themselves will have to come and escort us out. This is an interesting moment in the book of Acts. It's not the first time the Apostle Paul will play the card, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen, and you did what to me? What, what, wait a minute, they're telling me now, after doing this illegally, without following procedures, now they're telling me to go in peace? No. No, let's turn this around. They need to come down here now, and this is going to be public, and they need to make sure everyone knows we are not guilty of what they said. They can't just sweep this under the rug. The police reported this to the legal authorities who were alarmed, frightened to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They came and consoled Paul and Silas, escorting them out of the city and begging them to leave the city. What's really happening here? It's Paul practicing what he's going to write to the church later on. It's Paul practicing what you were read to just a few moments ago by, by two of our children in the church. It's Paul telling them to always be thinking about someone else. It's Paul telling them you can't just focus on yourself. It's Paul telling them this is not about what Jesus just means to you. This is about what Jesus means to us. This is Paul telling them about the mission. Wait a minute. They said some things about us that weren't true. Wait a minute, they persecuted us. Wait a minute, they beat us and jailed us illegally. And now they're telling us to leave the city. What about the people who stay behind? What about the church that we just planted? What about the people who have responded to the message of Jesus? What about their safety? What about their future? What about their well-being? What about their life? And he isn't going to leave until it's clear this was wrong. And the laws were broken, and they are innocent, and the people who are staying behind are innocent. Because at one point, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to need to be as shrewd as serpent and innocent as doves. Which means keep your nose clean and do the right thing. But be smart about how you're doing this. And be smart about how you're going on mission and how you're spreading this news. Be smart about what it means working in the world into which God has now called you and placed you. It's not just about you. This is now about the kingdom of God. And you're not alone. 
In just a few moments, we're going to share in what we call the Lord's Supper. We're going to, uh, some churches call it Eucharist. Some people call it communion. Uh, we practice what we call open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of this particular church to do this. We ask that you are a follower of Jesus and that you take a few moments to prepare yourself. Today, I would like for you to focus on that in the context of the birth of this church at Philippi. What does it mean to follow Jesus when life is good and easy? But what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus when life can be tough and difficult? So where are you now? What's happening in your life now? As we've gone through these things of, well, yeah, Jesus brings comfort, but it can be dangerous following Jesus. Not everybody wants that good news. I mean, sometimes I've got to change my plans. It, I mean, sometimes it can be a struggle. So let's take a few minutes today and let's breathe. Let's take a few minutes and let's reflect. Our choir musicians are going to lead us in this time of reflection. Prepare yourselves as we remember the incredible gift we now receive, the grace in which we stand. What must I do to be rescued? What must I do to be saved? You'll notice on this version that we have, it's a very clear layer on top, very thin and clear layer. You can go ahead and pull that off and take the wafer and just hold that in your hand for a moment. Just hold it. Once you get that, would you close your eyes for just a moment? Just hold that wafer in your hand. And in this part, would you just give thanks to God? Something that's happening in your life now. Someone who is in your life. Give thanks to God. The presence of Jesus Himself. The gift of God's love and grace and forgiveness. For just a few moments, may your heart overflow with thanksgiving, love, and appreciation. And to the early church in Corinth, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body that's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat together.
on the dangerous Jesus. Especially for those of you who've been around church a long time, uh, what part of the teaching of Jesus, the example of Jesus, what part makes you a little nervous, a little uncomfortable? It's the part you'd rather not think about, the part you'd rather not try to emulate or implement in your life. It's the part that's a little challenging to our human nature and who we are. Would you think about those words for just a moment? Asking the Lord to give you courage. Asking the Lord for you, for you to face the, uh, the power of that truth or the power of that action or the possibility of having those kinds of relationships. Not everyone may like it, but it is the kingdom of God and what a difference it can make. And Paul continues, in the same way also after supper, taking the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us share together. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we share the Lord's death. We proclaim the Lord's death. We remember the Lord's death. And we lean into that resurrection moment. And so we continue our worship this morning. What's God saying to you? Where's God nudging you? If you've never had the experience of inviting Christ into your life, of saying, wait a minute. I want to be in relationship with the one who made me. I want to get in connection with that dream that God has for me. I want to experience that love and that grace and that forgiveness we've been singing and talking about. We would love to talk to you. You could come down during the invitation or come down one of our ministers after the church. We would love to be in conversation with you and be a part of that journey. Will you stand as we give thanks to God?